Hi everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Tara and we are on to day four of this invitation from God to show up so that he can talk. Um, we're going to start as always with a prayer of um, invitation to the Holy Spirit and preparation for our souls. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the promise of your scriptures. We thank you for Mm. For the love of your son, we thank you, Father, for the invitation into your presence to be vessels, Father, for your spirit. And to be the lives which you work through to bring about your kingdom here on earth. Father God, I pray that you would make me small tonight. And that you would make Jesus big. That you would lift him up. And that you would, hmm, that you would reveal your glory to those of us who are waiting to see your face. Father, I thank you for the time that you give us. And I thank you for the hearts that are seeking you. And I thank you for the promise that you will be found by us. We ask in Jesus' name tonight. Amen. So tonight, um, the word that kept coming to me is expectation. And it's odd. There's not a lot of verses um, that use that word expectation. And yet, it is something that we as Christians walk in. Um, one of my seminary professors called it that we live in an inaugurated eschatology. We live between the... Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again. Um, we live in expectation of what is promised in scripture of a coming new creation of the kingdom come here on earth that is as it is in heaven. And we walk in that expectation and oftentimes I think we don't. Um, we're called to. We talk about it. But in our heart of hearts, I think often we do not actually expect the presence of the Holy Spirit to manifest, to do things that are outside of our norms, that we don't expect to encounter the living God in our day-to-day -day lives. And as a result of that, we often don't. Um, it's not because he's not there, by the way. It's just that we don't encounter him because we don't expect him to be there. And so oftentimes we'll reject him um, because he looks like somebody acting weird or crazy, or he looks like somebody in tears, or he looks like somebody who's good, too good to be true. And we shy away because we don't expect for God to be we don't expect to encounter I am. And yet that is what scripture tells us we should do. More importantly, um, scripture tells us that we must encounter God in order for that to happen, that we can't otherwise. Uh, so I was looking for things and I'm not supposed to do a lot of prep. So I found a couple random things in 15 minutes. <laughs> but they're not really random because they bring me back to... Um, the story that's been unfolding these last few days in Acts where God promised in the last days that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh um, and 
that began at Pentecost, but it was an ongoing thing. We know because Jesus had prayed the prayer that all of his people that would believe down through the ages, through um, the words of the apostles, would be made one with him. And the Spirit is what draws us into oneness with God. We know this from Paul because he talks about in Ephesians, maintaining the unity of the spirit that has been created among the body of God, uh, the body of Christ and the people of God. Um, and so in Acts, after the spirit has been poured out and Paul and, or sorry, Peter and John are walking into the temple um, at the beautiful gate, we all we all know this story, right? They're walking into the temple, and and there's a man there who has been lame um, for a very long time. He's been uh, lame since birth, right? And he's being laid at the beautiful gate temple, and he is calling out for alms to all those who are coming and going. So this man has been begging for years at the gate to the temple from all of those who were devout Jews coming and going or non-devout Jews coming and going. Um, and Peter and John are about to go in and he calls to them and they look at him and then they say to him, look at us. And the next thing we see is, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Now, Obviously, the beggar did not get what he was expecting. The beggar received something entirely different than what he was expecting at the time. But the reality is, is Peter demanded that he be expectant of them. In other words, I don't know if you've seen beggars before, but they stand there and they speak to everybody passing by, but they don't necessarily expect to receive something from everyone. We know how that works, right? Everybody kind of looks off to the side, don't make eye contact, you pass on by. And they are not expecting anything from those who don't make eye contact with them, from those who don't acknowledge them, from those who do not catch their attention, right? So Peter gets this beggar's attention, and as he does, there is an expectation on the part of the beggar that he is going to get something from Peter and John. Now, I'm not a fan of, of the whole we're beggars thing, um, mainly because I, well, we'll get to that another night. It's not, it's not essential to this message. But the reality is, is we all come to Christ in need of him. We come to God in need of an infilling of the Holy Spirit in order for us to be able to truly live in the world that we live in. Um, we can walk around talking and breathing and still be totally dead in this world unless we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us who has breathed his life, who keeps us in the presence of the Holy God. But we have to expect the Holy Spirit or we neglect him. We don't receive from him. So in the case of this beggar, right, Peter says to him, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Now, here's the deal. The beggar 
had to be expecting to receive something from them. And then he actually had to receive it in order for what Peter had given him to do him any good. The beggar could have sat there on the mat and never moved, right? He could have refused to receive what he was expecting. But instead, he took Peter's hand and stood up and his feet and ankles were made strong and he was leaping and standing and this was far better than silver and gold. But he still had to receive it in order for it to be useful to him. In order to it, for it to bear fruit, he had to receive the presence and the power and the healing of Jesus Christ in his body. Um, now, I think as, as a church, this is what we see too frequently in the people of God. We want awakening. We want the, the presence of Christ that is so evident when we read the book of Acts and when we read the letters of Paul and we read the gospels, we see this vibrant life that is unfolding, this vibrant new thing that is beginning with the ministry of Jesus in the world. We see this amazing revelation of God and this beautiful picture of what is to come. And we want that. We do. We deeply want that. Um, and yet at the same time, I think we miss it all the time. I think God is present all the time. He tells Joshua to be strong and of good courage because he is with him. Because God is going to go with him where Joshua goes. And because Joshua believes that, right? He walks into the promised land, knocks down the walls of Jericho, and fights his way throughout all of Canaan, conquering kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. Because he believes the promises of God and he expects that God will be with him as he goes about doing the things that God has called him to do. And God shows up. And he does the things that he says he's going to do because God is all about accomplishing his purposes here on earth, right? And he's all about inviting us into those purposes with him, about having us come and be a part of his kingdom building. And he desires that for us, but we have to know and believe that he's going to be there with us. James puts it this way. He says that, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. So as we as Christians ask God, oh, please come. We desire awakening. Please, Lord, bring awakening. Please, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Please, Lord, pour out on us. And we are weeping and we are crying and we are desiring for this because we look at the world around us. We see the pain. We see the horror of war and we see the misery of abortion and we see the terror of trafficked children. We see all of this awful, horrible misery going on in the world around us. And we just want Jesus to come. We just want the promise. Now we want awakening. We need awakening. We're crying out for awakening because we know that the answers to all of these things, the answers to the disease that is ravaging people's bodies, the answers to the, the addictive brokenness in families, the answers to 
widespread poverty, the answers to wickedness and pornography, all of these things, the answer is Jesus. The answer is the kingdom come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the answer to every one of these broken miseries that goes on in this planet. The answer is awakening, so we want it. I don't think there's any doubt that every Christian who has ever read their Bible wants to see revival in the hearts of the people, wants to see revival in the nation that they live in, wants to see awakening come across the globe and enliven the church to actually be about the business of building the kingdom of God. But we don't expect it. And because we don't expect it. We go about it on our own. We ask God, please, please give us these things. Please, please give us your, your spirit. Please come, please give us awakening. And then we turn around and we use modern marketing techniques, manipulations, emotional um, enticements. We use flashing lights. We use auto-tune music and other things to appeal to people's emotions to try to draw them in in the name of building the kingdom when the reality is all we need is Jesus to come. Now I'm not saying that all we need to do is preach Jesus because I don't believe that. I believe we need to preach the Bible because Jesus is the fullness of the revelation of God. But oftentimes for the revelation of God to be seen and the fullness of Christ to be understood, we need the word of God that he revealed to the Israelites. We need the word of God as it's revealed in scripture. We need to understand that before we can understand the fullness of Jesus and what he does. So it's important as Christians that we preach the fullness of scripture and the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of who Christ is from the beginning to the end of that book, not just the gospels and not just the letters of Paul. But the fact of the matter is it's still critical for us to preach the hope of Jesus Christ and then to expect that he will be there. Now, speaking to that, we need to understand the background. Um, and I know that there was just a break there and forgive me for that. I pray that the Lord will bring me back and this all ties. As we look at those who require the foundation, the other thing that, that the Lord showed me in scripture in this was, was Jesus meeting with the woman at the well. The understanding of our scripture, the, the deep teaching of what scripture says about Jesus and the hope of who he is, is necessary for us to understand who he is. Um, Jesus comes to Samaria where he's not supposed to be. He's sitting at a well in the middle of the day. A woman comes that normally shouldn't be there, but mm, she's got some reasons to not want to be around everybody. She's kind of bummed that there's a dude sitting there. Worse than that, he's a Jew. And so they get in this conversation and Jesus is like, can I get a drink of water? And she's, you know, on and on and talking to him about why he shouldn't be asking her for that. And then he talks to her about her not having a husband and having five husbands. And um, 
And she talks to him back about this and, and kind of blows him off a little bit as being a prophet, obviously. And, and then he talks about worshiping the Father in spirit and truth and that that's not going to be done on the mountain, that salvation is from the Jews, but that there's a time coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And this woman's response is, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, I found an interesting thing today looking at that. That is the same words, the I am, ego emi, is the same words that he uses when he makes his other I am statements. So I found that kind of interesting, that connection that he makes with himself to the Father God in this moment with this woman. But the reality is Jesus just did what she was telling him the Messiah was going to do, right? So she says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. He had just told her all things, beginning with, I know you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. And then he talked to her about the Jews and about the time that was coming, and he told her all things. And she was expecting the Messiah. So when she speaks, when he speaks this to her, she can receive what he has said. She was expectant. And it transformed not just her life, but the entire life of her village. When she went back and testified that she had found the Messiah, when she went back and testified to what she had seen, it was transformative because she was expecting the Messiah to come. Now, as we sit in our churches and we ask, we have a hard time expecting. And I got to say, we've got reason, right? Jesus said, I am coming soon. And it's been 2,000 years. That's a long time for people to be waiting, right? Not in the context of God in the heavens. His, his time is not the same as ours. But from our perspective, when we only live 80, 90, maybe 100 years, 2,000 years is a long time to be waiting for the Messiah to come. It's even longer than the 400 years they had been waiting here for the Messiah to come. So I think that it is understandable from a very human perspective that we hesitate to believe that Jesus is coming soon in our concept of what soon means. And I think it's understandable that we hesitate to, to, to expect the movement of the Holy Spirit sometimes because not only has it been 2,000 years, those people have been very busily working on gaining our own wisdom since you know, we doubted that God was going to give us the wisdom we needed to manage. Um, and so we've been busily doing things like studying science and determining that, you know, that shouldn't be about learning more about God's creation. It should be about that, well, there actually is no God because, you know, we can explain these things and we'll be able to explain more things tomorrow. And obviously we might not be able to explain everything, but pretty soon, you know, 
Maybe we will. We're really smart. We keep learning more and more things every day, right? And so we've come to a place where we've demystified the world around us, right? Um, because I can explain the mechanisms behind a seed growing, I no longer see it as a miracle and a sign that God keeps the world running in its seasons and sends the rain in its time and grows the crops in its time because science has told me that seeds are supposed to do that, right? These days, if we see the Holy Spirit moving, we're as likely to medicate someone as we are to seek the face of the Father and listen to what they're saying. These days, when someone bursts out in song, we shush them because they might disturb the other people who are in our worship service. These days, if the pastor were to suddenly break out in tongues, there's a real, real good chance he's going to get fired. These days, if people cry out in the midst of the sermon because the Lord has moved them to tears and to prayer, they are likely to be hushed and very possibly shunned by the rest of the congregation because how dare they make a disorderly service. Paul tells us there should definitely be order in our worship and there should not be those kinds of, does he really? And so rather than coming into our worship services and our prayer times and our lives expectant of the move of the Holy Spirit, we miss him because we're not looking for him and we're not willing to receive him when he comes. If he comes in a package that makes us uncomfortable, we're likely to tell him, no, sir, I'm sorry. You go along to the next person. If the Lord's gift comes in the, in the form of prophecy and that prophecy costs us, we're likely to be silent. No, sir, you go along to the next person. I know I love you and I know I said I'd follow you, but this can't really be the spirit. This is just the voices in my head. If the gift he gives us is of preaching or teaching or mission work that carries us to other places, I don't know about that, Lord. That wasn't what I was expecting when I prayed that you would bless me. If we pray for provision and deliverance and the answer is that our car gets repossessed and God leads us to move to a whole new town, uh, we're not likely to see the Holy Spirit moving in that unless we're expectant, unless we're wanting to see the face of the Lord. There are times when God makes a radical mess of our lives in order to restore us, in order to heal us, in order to elevate and exalt us. Remember yesterday, I think it was, I said, you cannot have a resurrection without a death. We expect that when the Holy Spirit shows up 
in response to our prayers and our desires that he is going to conform to what we have asked him to do, that he is going to put his stamp of approval on our ideas and help make sure that our fundraisers for the building are going to go well and that our new ministry is going to run very smoothly and our PowerPoints are never going to glitch and our youth program is going to take off or whatever it may be. We expect that God is going to come and prosper our plans rather than expecting that he is going to show up and turn our plans on their head and radically invite us in to what he plans to spread and grow the kingdom of God. Now, that is not to say that our plans will never coincide with the Lord's. They will. In fact, the more we pray about it, the more we desire it, the more we expect to see the Holy Spirit, the more our plans will reflect God's desires for us. And as they reflect God's desires for us, the more people are going to call us crazy, by the way, because the Holy Spirit wants to do things that you and I are not possibly capable of doing in this world. Because a big part of what God does in the world, a big part of the bringing of the Holy Spirit, the bringing of the kingdom of God is doing things that point to the glory of the Lord. That's the point of us, right? Worship is all about bringing glory to God, about pointing people to God, about pointing people to Jesus who points people to the Father in heaven, the creator of the universe, the one who had the plan from the beginning to draw us all back in a relationship with him, to redeem the entirety of creation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the point of us, the church, right, is to glorify God the Father. So why would we expect that when we ask the Holy Spirit to come, that he wouldn't do things that would glorify God and make us feel a little uncomfortable and a little unexpected? We expect too little. And because we expect too little, we miss what God is doing. We miss what he is trying to invite us into. We get stuck in our ruts. We get stuck in the things that we've always done because we've always done them. And because they're comfortable, we get stuck in our comfort zones and don't want to step out of them because it's not what we expected. And we don't actually expect the God of the Bible. We talk about him being a gentleman and the whisper in the wind and with Elijah and we forget about the, <laughs> the fire from heaven falling and burning up the entirety of the altar and all of the water and the bowl sitting on it that Elijah had put before the Lord. We forget the God of creation, the one that speaks worlds into existence. We forget that this is the God who shook the world. When the cross happened and the sun went black and the temple curtain ripped and all of the world at that moment shook and the tombs were opened and dead men walked. That is the God that we cry out to for awakening. That is the God that we expect and invite into our churches, into our lives, into our homes, into our minds and bodies. This Holy Spirit that blew the doors off the tomb and walked Jesus out of the grave. That is the one who dwells in 
us, that we cry out to, to deliver us, to awaken us, to bring revival, to change the world around us, why do we believe that that is going to be quiet, smooth process? Why are we not expecting tongues of fire and flame? Why are we not expecting wind that shakes the room? Why are we not expecting earthquakes that break open prison doors? Why are we not expecting the holy fire of God in each and every one of us? And then celebrating wildly every time it comes. I pray for each of us today that we will go into tomorrow expectant. That God will say to us, look at me. And we will look at him expecting something from him. Because I will tell you right now, God is faithful. And if we seek, we will find. If we come to him expectant, he will pour out abundantly beyond all we can imagine. And then we really will see awakening. Father God, I thank you so much for the promise of your scripture. I thank you, Lord, that you invite us to have courage and to be strong, Father God, to step forward in the knowledge and the certainty that you are with us. You have promised to be with us. Your spirit dwells in us that you call us, Lord God, to step fully and boldly into the missions that you have called each one of us to, to step boldly and fully into unity with you and with each other. Father God, I am so grateful that you have invited us, Lord, to witness the coming of your kingdom. To use us, Father God, to speak the testimony of your son. To carry the authority and the power and the wonder of the Holy Spirit into the world around us so that the world can see your glory. Father, I pray that you would break each and every one of us of the vision of tameness, that holds us, Father God. I pray that you would break off the chains of lowered expectations. I pray you would burst open the tomb, Father God, of our materialism that is stuck on the idea that this is all there is, even when we know better, Lord God. I pray that you would help us, Lord God, to fight off the inertia that comes from the world around us that tries to convince us that we shouldn't expect more. Father God, we know better and we praise you and we thank you that we know better. And Lord Father, we pray tonight that your kingdom will come. And we pray tonight, Father, that we will remain expectant for how you will call us into it to move with you and to be your people, your hands and feet, your voice, your heart, your mind, your vessels here in the world to make that happen. We thank you, Father, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Pray you all have a good night. Be blessed and be a blessing.